all over the world and had to make arrangements to, you know, Skype with them in the middle of the night and all, you can imagine all the, and they're all, these are the monks she talked with that travel as much as Bhante Sujata does, so she was having to catch them in all parts of the world and uh, drove Bhante places and took him to the airport and spent hours interviewing him whenever she could catch him. So I think it meant she was his chauffeur and uh, probably took him to doctor's appointments and any time she could grab some, grab some uh, time with him. So she's been doing that completely on her own and has created a book that's about 300, over 300 pages and I've been so blessed to get to read it. It's just wonderful. We, it, I learned so much about Monte Sujata. And it's a wonderful, wonderful book full of stories about growing up in Sri Lanka and what it was like for him being a, a little monk and then, uh, you know, his, all the way up through his ordination and going to Australia and all of his, all the places he's been in the world. And she interviewed people who knew him, his family, all his teachers, all his uh, fellow monks, all the people that have been in his life from the time he was, you know, he was born. And the stories are just incredible. So I've asked her if she would read some of her, uh, pick a part, the hard part was picking something, so I said she had to pick it. And it's all Dhamma too, the wonderful thing is, all these stories, and they're, you know, some are happy, some are not happy, some are sad, but there's Dhamma through all of the stories. And, and I think uh, Mary captures Bonte's spirit uh, in a way that I don't think anyone else could. So it's very fresh and it's very uh, uplifting even when he's going through rough times and you hear Bonte's voice in it constantly. So I've asked her if she'll share some today. I know, and Mary, if you come here, I'll turn on the, you can sit up here. Yes. Okay. Then if you can't if you can't make sure everybody can hear you. Okay. Um, I'm reading from chapter four, and Bonte is a young boy. His childhood name is Neil Bandara, and uh, he has to take a long walk to get water for the household. Um, he's about seven years old in this story. Uh, and uh, please bear with me. I. I'm just nervous, so thank you. <laughs> okay, uh, this is called Water. Lalitha is quiet, and that's his mother. As she cooks rice milk, coconut milk added to rice, for breakfast. She is happy to have food for her children this morning, and she is concerned about their evening meal. Neil sleeps on the single bed, and Manal shifts her body further underneath the light blanket over her sleeping mat on the floor. Himbanda, their father, left the house at five this morning, muttering about a solution to a broken part on the truck he is driving. Before he left, he issued a command. My dear, you must stop that road work. I'm sorry, but I must insist. You are a beautiful woman, and we have two children who need our care. We cannot risk this hard work with men milling about. You understand me? You must quit today. Yesterday, a neighbor told Lalitha about a job in a tobacco company separating leaves for sale as smoking tobacco. The pay there is 35 cents a day, and she hopes Himbanda will approve. Today, she is leaving early to walk down to the mountainside to catch a bus and candy. She will quit her road job, 
and then take another bus to the tobacco company where she will apply for far more appropriate work. Lalitha lays the knife down on the wooden pallet and scoops up the onions, mixing them in with the rice milk, simmering on the fire. She stirs slowly, lost in thought about her job search. Satisfied with her progress on breakfast, Lalitha stands up and walks over to the Buddha statue. Lighting the candle near the statue always calms her. She decides to meditate, determined to calm her mind before she wakes the children. It is difficult to leave them for work. Lalitha often comes home to Neil crying and Manel, and that's Bonte's older sister, pouting, angry about her brother's refusal to do his share of the chores or some other offense. As so many thoughts come to her mind, Lalitha expertly arranges her skirts for modesty as she sits down in a comfortable cross-legged position on her tattered meditation cushion. Closing her eyes, she focuses on her normal breath in and out, remembering that her breath is not in the past or the future, but only now. She notices the cool air passing over her upper lip as she breathes in, and the warmest sensation of the air passing as she breathes out. After a short time, she is refreshed. She opens her eyes and chants quietly, Namo tase bhagavato arihato, sama sambuddhase. I take refuge in the Buddha. After she repeats the short chant three times, she clasps her hands in the prayer position near her chest and bows, her forehead on the floor as she pays homage to her teachings. Many people think that Buddhists are idol worshippers, bowing before a statue, kissing the ground when a monk shows up in the robes of a Buddha, and engaging in their practices with symbols. Practitioners are not actually worshipping the statue. They are sitting before it to remind themselves of the great teachings. They pay respect to monks and other Buddhist symbols as a way of practicing mindfulness about their own humility. You know, we have rituals with the Bodhi tree. We walk around it, chanting and watering and meditating. I think people see us as worshiping a tree or something. Bhante Sujatha smiles. But really, we're just reminding ourselves of our path, which was created when the Buddha sat under this tree and meditated. We use these symbols as reminders. We are not worshiping the Buddha or anything else. We are practicing mindfulness and appreciating the great teachings, you know? Refreshed from her brief meditation, Lalitha stands and removes her apron. She lays it on top of her sleeping daughter as she begins to shake Manal gently on the shoulder, waking her up. Manal pushes her hand away, complaining about being tired. Lalitha sighs, sorry to have to wake her daughter in a day when the children do not have school. Manal, I must leave. You need to wake up and finish preparing the rice milk, she whispers insistently, pulling the cover down, letting the damp morning air help her wake her daughter. She can tell the day will be hot, and she knows her children will want to run down to the river to swim. This worries her, and she reminds herself to ask her neighbor to stop them if she sees them heading for the river. Manel finally sits up, stretching and yawning. Oh, Mama, I'm so tired. I know, sweetheart, but I have to go. Can't you stay home? I don't want to watch your little son today. He's so stubborn. Lalitha is glad she meditated. She's able to stay quiet and centered. Darling, I know he is, but you're my daughter, and we must help your father take care of all of us today. It's too much for him to do it alone. I'm going to see if I can find a better job. You want to stay in school, don't you? This always works with Manel. She's a good child, and her father has instilled a love of learning into the whole family. Her father often tells her, 
that he is only happy today and able to care for his family because he left the farm and found intellectual people to help him learn. Manel, without this learning, I would not have a future. I know our life is hard, but because I was able to get some education, our lives are getting better. People cannot get away from poverty without education. And poverty is a terrible way of life. Manel sighs and agrees to watch her little brother again. She hugs her mother tight before she leaves. Lalitha's heart softens, and she wipes tears away as she readies herself for the long walk to the bus stop in Candy. Yesterday, Lalitha learned that Himbanda's father was ill, and she's eager to tell her husband that they must reconcile soon. Lalitha wants her son to meet his grandparents on Himbanda's side. She knows that her husband's mother will need help. Lalitha's mother gently encourages her daughter to keep steady pressure on Himbanda to see his father. Buddhist families are not comfortable with separation. Unresolved hard feelings have no place in a life filled with a desire for loving kindness. Lalitha reminds Manel of her promise as she leaves. Be sure to feed Neil when he wakes up and please don't fight. Make sure he gets water for tonight. She hugs Manel once more, takes a breath, and readies herself for the long walk to work. Manel walks outside after her mother leaves and watches as Lalitha walks down the hill, squinting to see the smaller and smaller shape of her as she disappears across the road to Candy. When Lalitha is out of sight, Manel takes a breath and walks back into the small house, which is already growing hot with the advancing morning heat. The small fire makes it even hotter inside, inspiring the nine-year-old to wake Neil early so that they can get outside into the cooler air. Manel puts on her mother's apron, placing her hands in the pockets. She feels her confidence grow when she touches the mala beads that her mother uses in her meditation. Shaking her shoulders self-importantly and jutting out her chest, she pretends to be a grown-up and stands over her brother in his bed. Little brother, it's time to wake up. It's getting hot in here. Let's get our chanting done and eat so we can go outside. When Neil hears the word eat, he opens his eyes. He is always hungry, relishing any chance to fill his belly. He rubs his eyes and kicks off the light cover, already sweating. Okay, okay, I'm getting up. Manel grabs Neil's cup off the floor and pours water into it from a pitcher, set near the door for a chance of a cooling breeze. She walks over with the cup as Neil sits up against the wall, rubbing his eyes. He takes the warm cup from his sister, who puts her hands on top of it just before it reaches the little boy's parched lips, stopping him from drinking. Little brother, what do you say? Oh, I, oh, forget it. Thank you, thank you. Now can I please drink my water? You know I'm thirsty. Manel pulls her hand away, watching her brother drink for a moment. You like that, says Manel? Well, we need more. Mama said you have to get the water this morning. Neil sighs, shaking his head, wiping his shiny hair with his palm, enjoying the feeling of his fingers as he untangles his hair. The little boy is gifted with a gorgeous head of hair, and he likes to run his fingers through it whenever he can. Oh no, I don't want to go for water. Not today, it's too hot. Manel feels her irritation start to rise, like the heat in the house. She takes a breath and grabs the malabies, calming herself. She counts five beads with her fingers, taking a breath as she feels them one at a time. Her anger dissipates and she speaks kindly. Well, let's get up and eat. Maybe then you'll have more energy to get the water. Neil gets off the bed silently. He shoves his little feet into his worn sandals and sits down at the fire. Like I said, it's too hot. I don't want to get the stupid water. It's too heavy for me. Why don't you go? Why can't we do it tomorrow? Manel frowns as she spoons some warm rice milk into her brother's now empty cup. Little brother, I do enough for you. Look, I've cooked you some food. You can go get water. We'll run out if we wait till tomorrow. Do you want Papa to be thirsty when he comes home? 
Neil huffs and takes a cup from her. He uses his fingers to start eating. The warm mixture is a little too hot, and he drops her at rice back into the bowl, shoving his fingers into his mouth to cool them down. Darn it, Manel, this is too hot. Neil stands up and dumps his food back into the pot, angry that he has to do the four-mile walk to the surveyor's house for fresh water. He's stubborn about letting his sister feed him. He ignores her insistence that he eat and stops outside to grab the clay urn that he uses to carry the water. His sandals slap on the ground as he begins the journey, balancing the empty urn on his shoulder. After 10 minutes, he holds a sturdy vessel in front of him, banging it against his knees as he walks. It hurts him to do this, but the boredom in the hot sun is harder to take than the bumps on his knees. He picks up a stick and hits the top of the urn, making it ring in between bangs against his knees as he walks. I hate getting water. I hate getting water. Neil noisily passes a small hut. Inside, a village woman is just sitting down to meditate. She is exhausted from being outside in the hot sun, watching her clothes in the river, and has looked forward to 30 minutes of meditation all morning. Neil's voice is loud as he passes her house, and she's startled by the banging sounds of the urns. Thinking someone is breaking something, she gets up from her cushion and runs outside, only to see the little Bandara boy, complaining as always. You be quiet already. Some people might still be sleeping, the woman yells. Already irritated from being hungry, Neil lashes out. Oh, shut up, old woman. I'm just getting our water. Go back inside. The woman purses her lips together and narrows her eyebrows. You listen to me, little boy. You don't talk to me that way. Who do you think you are? I think I'm a good boy, and you don't need to yell at me, so there. Neil hits the urn hard with his stick deliberately, making a loud sound to emphasize his point. The woman winces at the piercing sound. A baby starts to cry in the distance, and other neighbors come outside to see what all the noise is about. Well, little boy, I'm telling your uncle about this. We'll see what he has to say. Neil's eyes well up with fear. He knows that his uncle will tell his father, who will never take his son's side. Hinbanda and Lalitha always pay respect to the adults and Neil is forever getting into trouble for his smart mouth. He stops banging the urn and runs in the heat until he is so hot he has to stop, setting the urn down on the ground and resting, wishing he had brought some drinking water with him. I think I'll stop there. Is that okay? Great. It's wonderful. Do you want to say anything about the about the book, about what you? Um, you know what? It's just very humbling, uh, the whole experiences, and uh, I'm very nervous about it. And you know, um, I I think you'll really enjoy it. It's a great story. It's uh, almost magical. Um, and Bonte kind of allowed me to write it how I wanted to write it, which I really appreciated. You know, I didn't have to be too formal or. Um, he wanted the book to fill people with joy. That was his instruction. So, um, you know, <laughs> I, uh, I think that's it. We're, we're, um, we're recording an audio version of it, which will be available like between the 15th and 30th. You can actually um, pre-order it on a website now. So that's all. I'm oh. just humbly, thank you for allowing me to do that. I appreciate it. Yeah, so I love listening to you read it, too.